We would like to begin by acknowledging the traditional owners and custodians of the lands on which we record from today, the peoples of the Kulin Nation. I also pay my respects to the elders past and present. I extend that respect to the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples here today. Source, a new podcast from Cappy, where hosts Emma Evans and Thurman Wise get to the source of our daily rituals, speaking with entrepreneurs that are changing the face of our day-to-day. From making our bed to a glass of wine and everything in between, we give you a peek into the leaders making our daily rituals serve us better, support our communities and bring positive change to our surroundings. Hello and welcome everyone to the Source podcast. As always, one of your hosts, Thurman Wise. And Emma Evans. Today we are very excited to bring you episode seven. Wow. I know. It's been a journey. On today's episode, we have the wonderful Nikki G, yoga teacher, meditation teacher, breathwork teacher, well being facilitator, well being facilitator teacher of teachers, and we will be exploring the beautiful ritual of taking a moment, finding space to yourself. So divine. And just as a, I guess, what what would you call it, Emma? A little... Precursor? No. Yeah, precursor. Maybe, listen, we might not be right with what this is, (laughs) but we will be talking a lot about yoga today. Yeah, it leads us in that direction. And often we feel like sometimes people can be really into yoga or have a complete aversion, but we don't believe there should be a stigma around it. And it means different things to different people. So we thought as people who love that practice, how did we get there? How did you get there, Thurman? How did you start to do yoga and why? I started and stopped and then started and have continued. Yeah. The first time I ever did yoga, I had a, I guess, ex-partner, partner at the time that just saw me being really unhealthy and was like, you need to do something to get your life on or to get physically healthy. So I'll never forget, you took me to a, my first ever heated yoga class. Oh, that's back to Nine, my 90 minutes. I passed out, <laughs> got nursed back to health, the passion fruit coconut water, <laughs> and then chewed out for flirting with the yoga teacher while I was incapacitated. How I did that, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I did yoga a little bit there, but the second time I actually got into yoga is all thanks to the wonderful Emma Evans. And we were traveling a lot. I, at the time, I think just started working for Cappy. Yeah. Helping us with our export. Helping with export markets. And we would, we had these crazy schedules like Korea, Japan, China, and it was so intense, like amazing time. Sounds incredible. Very fun, of course. But like, also you're waking up at seven, you're taking calls for business back in Australia. You're out to breakfast, you're out to lunch. You've got meetings in between. You're staying out till two. Too much cocktails. <laughs> too much coffee. <laughs> too much coffee. Too much fried food. Too much food. I don't even know how to say it. <laughs> kind of food. And it's a hard road. And Emma was always doing yoga or she was, you know, doing something that was really, you know, helping her get through it all. And I just one day was like, hey, do you mind if I join you? And she was doing these 20 to 30 minute classes from this website, YouTube channel called Boho Beautiful. <laughs> it's such so good. She's so great. She's amazing. And you know what? It's I just a even, little bit hard. It's like a workout. It's a workout. And if you know me, you'd be like, there's no way that Thurman's looking at Boho Beautiful. But you know what? It, it started this whole journey. And ever since then, I've just kind of like naturally, you know, started going to studios that I liked. And now I have like teachers like Nikki, who we'll be talking to today or another good friend of mine, Ryan from It's All Yoga and Good Vibes. And I just kind of found these people that I really resonate with. And I think a big part too, Emma, is kind of us having each other on this journey to keep me motivated. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And now I'm doing all kinds of different yoga things, which is amazing. And I can't imagine living without it. Yeah. How about you, Emma? Was it uh, Boho Beautiful in China that got you started? (laughs) That was part of the journey, but not the start. I was actually 
so stressed out at work and had the weight of the world on my shoulders and I was planning my wedding. And when you're planning your wedding, you really want to fit in your dress. But at the time, I did not understand the impacts of cortisol and and how that was impacting me. And I went and saw a naturopath and I was doing F45, which is this like high intensity workout, like six days a week. And she was like, you need to stop that and you need to go to yoga. And so thankfully I was a dancer growing up. So I was like, okay, I can at least listen to instructions and I understand, you know, elements of flow. And so I stopped all of that. And I went to this yoga studio called Brody and Ride in Port Melbourne. And I just fell in love with it. I just loved, initially I actually really loved all the mellow types of yoga, restorative, yin. And then when I started to see the effects of it on my body and on my mind and on my like mental state, I couldn't get enough. So yeah, when we were traveling, I had to find ways to slot it in and and Boho Beautiful on YouTube was the way to go with those 20 minute classes. But now it's yeah, like similar to you, I couldn't imagine life without it. I do a lot of trainings and probably become a little bit more fussy as time goes on. I'm sensitive to the styles and the teachers. And I actually love practicing at home. And I love that the lockdowns and the pandemic kind of grew that space of fitness or well-being to be a bit more available. So I love that you can do classes with teachers in Byron Bay from Melbourne or LA from Melbourne. And it's just so much more than just a workout. It's, I think, really beneficial, which is what we're going to tap into today around how that impacts your satisfaction every day, your capacity to deal with challenges. And we absolutely, Nikki would be one of my number one teachers. So it's amazing to get to talk to him and and to get to work with him as well. A million percent. And I think with that in mind, and and as we said, Emma and I can't say enough beautiful things about Nikki and his practice. So we welcome the wonderful Nikki G. Well, Nikki, thank you so much for coming and joining us today as we explore the idea of taking space as a ritual. So welcome. Thank you. Good to be here. Great to see you and yeah, hanging out with my friends as well. I know I've I got to say for our listeners that might not know, uh, Nikki has made the trip up up north. Yep, that's how you northern. Say it. Yep, to the gold to the Gold Coast. It's gold Coast, um, Sunshine Coast, Sunshine Coast. Yes, lots of coasts, but Sunshine Coast. <laughs> this is one of the first chances we've had to kind of catch up via a podcast, which is really exciting. And mourn yeah. his loss to Victoria. Yes, <laughs> I know. Shed a tear for me. <laughs> And yeah, so I guess, Nikki, if you don't mind maybe giving a little bit of kind of a background on yourself and talk to us a little bit about the ritual of taking a bit of space for you. Mm. Yeah, well, I'll try and, I guess, keep it tight to the theme or the subject matter, you know, with this importance of taking space and, and really doing something for yourself, I guess, during every single day. And more than that, I guess, I think what makes rituals different to habits is that you're making it sacred there's something sacred about it and it has a certain amount of levity or or importance to you that hits you somewhere quite deeply i think and i think that's a bit of the difference between like you know because i've been to sort of circles group chats with about rituals and things like that and some people were sort of coming into the circle and saying i have a ritual of drinking water and brushing my teeth (laughs) yeah that's definitely could be ritual, but it might be more habit. <laughs> but uh, to make it sacred and and to to make it almost, dare I say, divine and, and bring that appreciation to it, I think is the the main difference. And I think I can relate that to my own journey where I made a transition from being a filmmaker to being a yoga teacher. And it was definitely not intentional. But I think that transition and coming into teaching, it just pointed out the importance of making a lot of your day kind of sacred in what you're doing. If not, you know, heading towards making most of your decisions quite sacred in a sense without sounding too full on about really overwhelming yourself with everything that I see is sacred and everything that I touch is divine sort of thing, which is true in one sense, but the amount of not pressure, but awareness that you bring to it is interesting. And I think really important. So yeah, I mean, I started as a, not started, I wasn't born a filmmaker, but (laughs) I was a filmmaker for about 15 years 
and uh, I, I was in the industry and, and loved it and still do love it, still work with film production, still work with photography. And it's a great passion. I don't think you could remove that passion from me. But in terms of a career and something that I take up most of my day with, it started to head towards yoga. At the end of that journey of being a filmmaker, I really had a big meltdown with the amount of stress and the amount of pressure I was putting myself under in a corporate setting and, and just living a lifestyle that was very incongruous to how I really felt that well-being should play out. And that was with very little knowledge of the yoga world or, or the wellness industry or the wellness practices. But I think that transition towards becoming a yoga teacher really just pointed out the importance of embracing and, and loving as much as you possibly can throughout your day. In my own head, in more of a um, practical sense, if you think of a day consisting of 24 hours and let's say six to eight hours of that you're going to sleep, the rest of those hours left in the day, how much of that are you spending consciously applying your attention and your energies towards something that's beneficial to yourself? Obviously, we have to do things that are maybe responsibilities and obligations that we don't necessarily want to do in an idealistic setting. But in light of those stresses and obligations that we all have to fulfill, and I think they're an important part of life and especially help us to evolve and to learn, in light of all them, still making time in the day, if not making time or applying your attention to making every moment in a sense, special, or at very least having an awareness around what you're doing in those moments. I've been really excited to have this chat with you because one of the kind of common threads throughout all of our podcast conversations has been this idea of taking a moment. And it's been so nice because every single guest that we've had has had a different moment where they put themselves first, whether it was a walk to work, you know, whether it was something like having a minute to have a matcha tea outside of work, there's not one way to do it necessarily, but it's this moment that you make special or sacred that really has just such an insane impact on the rest of your day. Totally agree. And I think that's almost like the secret, not the book, by the way, just, <laughs> it's just the secret or the key to kind of confronting those things that are going to be challenging. And we can't remove challenge. We can't remove stress. In fact, I think they're very beneficial. It's more in how am I going to approach that or what kind of energy, what kind of capacity, what kind of threshold and bandwidth do I have to approach this? And I think when we take that time for ourselves in the day with something that's truly, truly beneficial, not something that's suppressing like whatever it might be, alcohol, drugs, et cetera, that sort of train of thought. When we take that time for ourselves, it allows us to have more bandwidth to put back into the world when things get a little bit tricky. Yeah. And I think that's a very important key aspect that we can't remove those stresses, nor should we remove the stresses or the challenges. They're very, very beneficial and we definitely need them. It's just how are we showing up to them and am I being sort of true to myself when I show up to that and true to the other person or the other, the other thing that's happening, you know? That's why I think it's interesting to talk about it in the sense of it builds on your capacity to deal with the challenging moments and that the challenges aren't going anywhere because we've spoken about it on a number of podcasts that we try to integrate that into the business, which Nikki, you know, and, and even just, I guess, with friends, like, oh, no, I don't practice yoga and the idea of what yoga is versus the idea of what it cultivates, whether it's yoga, breathing, meditation, a walk in a park, putting your phone in your pocket and not looking at it and being highly mindful. And I think you must have seen quite a lot of transitions being a teacher of people who come for their very first class and are highly strung and, you know, because even Thurman and I have been chatting about that breakthrough point and how do you how do you really guide people to be like, I need to just take you away from this stress, this, you know, but I'm busy. I don't have time. I don't have the ability to do that. Yet knowing that there's just so much, I don't know the right word, juiciness on the other side. <laughs> and it's also, and Nikki, like really, really keen to hear kind of maybe what your answer to Emma's question is, because it's like, 
it's that thing of, and Emma and I seriously, we talk about all the time about like, you can lead a horse to water kind of thing, you know, or it's like, sometimes like there's this amazing amount of knowledge, which is putting yourself first for a minute and having this, but it's so hard to explain that to somebody sometimes because you're like, I know easier said than done. Life is crazy. You don't think you have time, but you really do. And I think one of the major ways of going about it is just doing it in bite-sized chunks, just chipping away little by little. And for, for myself as, as some kind of well-being facilitator of some description, I create an environment in which people are maybe more in tune with their well-being. I'm not going to say that it's amplified. I'm not going to say it's because of anything I do in particular. I think there's intelligence in the yoga practice itself. And I'm sort of almost a conduit or a channel for that. But it's the intelligence of the practice that's been set a very long time ago that influences us because we all have fundamental qualities to us. And those fundamental qualities can be influenced through your activities. And so it sheds light on the importance of which activities to perform to have a particular effect on yourself. And you could extend that to your entire behavior in that if we start with awareness around what we're doing, we can start to identify what we don't want to be doing what's truly beneficial for us and what's not that beneficial for us. A lot of the people that come to yoga and a lot of the people that I just see either as facilitators or teachers in the well-being space or students or clients in the well-being space, quite often they've come from places of adversity, real adversity, difficult, difficult times. And the main thing I see out of it was that that difficult point was actually one of the biggest blessings of that person's life and especially for me as well. And it only furthers what, what yoga is, is really trying to point out in terms of a practice, a total practice, is that it's really a practice that's designed to fortify and strengthen your willpower. Uh-huh. And you know, willpower is at the center of basically anything that you want. And, and having the strength of willpower which is based on, you know, firstly, awareness, I'm aware, and therefore I can then implement based on that, that allows you to head in the direction of well-being. If you don't know where well-being is, how can you head in that direction? If you don't know what activities supply well-being and what activities really hinder well-being, then it's going to be very difficult to change anything. So awareness and that implementation or this fortification of willpower is a key aspect and it comes in many forms in the yoga practice and the yoga practice looks at the individual as being made of you know multiple dimensions of experience each of us as an individual have multiple dimensions of experience we experience our physical body we experience energy we experience our mind we experience a part of us that also can be very very still like when we go to sleep when we're deeply calm, you know, a nice bath, having a swim, sitting at the beach, a sunset, something where you get into that kind of flow state. So all these experiences are there for all of us, body, energy, mind, and this, this kind of uh, total unification of just being is also a, a, an experience that we all have. It's funny because I actually woke up this morning and randomly just said to my husband, I was like, can you believe that many years ago, I would just wake up and go and do high intensity workouts. Like how is the body even close to being ready for that? Like wake up and just, just sweat it out. Like I know that's what many people do, but like for me, that was a big part of like what I had to peel back. But like, you know, when you can go on that journey, you're like, and that is definitely not serving my well-being. Yeah, I think, and it shifts, doesn't it, over a lifetime. What I needed when I was 20 is not what I need when I'm 40. And I feel like when you try to do that, then you really pay for it the next day. You're like, wait a sec. <laughs> Back in the 20s. That was where I was at as well. And I thought that was a really nice way to balance things out. It's like, yeah, I'm going to do the things. I'm going to do the drinking. I'm going to do the partying. But I'm also going to get my ass up and get down to, to practice. I'm going to sit down. I'm going to meditate. I'm going to sweat it out. I'm going to hate it, but I'm going to do it, you know? <laughs> listening to what you and Emma were saying about like that moment of breakdown or even like what is needed. You know, it's an interesting way to think about it as like, you almost need that conflict sometimes to be able to find wellness. And like, I was just reading this, I started reading this book on Sunday 
called The Only Dance There Is by Ram Das. And he was in the first few pages, he's talking about like, there's this old Buddhist story about a monk that lives out on this hill away from everyone. And he's become so, so holy and he's gained thousands of followers. And then he comes down to the city and the guy bumps into him and he loses it. And they were just kind of saying how like being holy away from life is one thing, but then being holy in life. And sometimes I guess like in this space, like it's all about getting away from distraction. It's about getting away from stress. But in some degree, it sounds like stress and distraction are tools to helping you find wellness or mindfulness, maybe. A hundred percent. And this is something that I was really thinking about just last night, actually. When we're talking about ritual, there's two ways that I look at this. There's ritual on a daily level where I'm going to do this practice or that practice or this ritual or that ritual for this period of time. Let's take breath work or meditation for an example. So it's a very dedicated set aside time that looks a very particular way that's fairly systemized. And I think that that's a very important almost training ground that you need to take some time with to then do and take that sort of towards part two where that becomes an integrated quality of mind into pretty much whatever you're doing. And I think that that's really what the heart of yoga and especially this particular type of philosophy that I study called Advaita Vedanta is really what it's trying to point out. As someone who's been practicing lots of different things for a period of time, then you start to narrow in on the smaller factors of life that are causing stress or discomfort and for me it's the dishes because i am really clean and i just get i was getting so agitated by my husband and then now i just if he makes the biggest mess i'm just like i now i'm gonna have 20 minutes to just enjoy this process of making this kitchen beautifully clean and i know that sounds crazy but it actually has just changed my relationship with it of like he could make a lot of mess, a little bit of mess, whatever. I'm just sort of like, okay, like I have to do this. I may as well enjoy it. Absolutely. All of this yoga stuff, spirituality, well-being, if it's not being used in your relationships in the real world, in the workplace, when the shit hits the fan, then there's something missing. There's, mm-hmm. there's, there's a disconnect there and, and maybe more practice is required or more information is required maybe around what we're doing. But yeah, it's got to be practical. This is not something that exists in a vacuum. I think that's also something really interesting. This idea of things are cyclical and, and no matter how present, no matter how sacred, no matter what rituals that you maintain, no one is perfect. And we are going to hit those moments where we fail. And whether that's in work or in, in life or in relationships, like it's tough and it's okay. It's okay if you fail meditating or it's okay if you lose your yoga practice for a second. Like as much as we talk about these things being very important to finding awareness, but I guess it's okay to fail. And to some degree, our society sometimes tells you it's not. That's one of the biggest challenges, right? We've gone through schooling systems that are reinforcing that you cannot fail. You know, you've got KPIs at work that you cannot fail. <laughs> you cannot fail on your mortgage either. You know, you cannot fail on your, your bills and all this. So you cannot fail in your relationship with your partner. You'll find no one else in your life. You know, all these worries that, that come into our, our mind. But, but they're really, in my eyes, they're the most beautiful parts and they're where the, where the lessons are really learned. Yeah, I think it took me a long time to feel comfortable in a yoga class that I couldn't, you know, you, you can't do some of the crazy moves and you're just comfortable like sitting in child's pose, just fully comfortable. It's just yeah. what I need right now. Yeah. I think a bit of that comes down to how the teacher facilitates it, yeah. what environment they set up, what the teacher is trying to point out what's important in the practice. It's an art form for sure to create Mm. an environment that's conducive. It comes back to what we were just talking about. How do I get them to do the thing? Yeah. How do I show them the door and not kick them through the door? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. How how can they, you know, just guide them with the first steps? It's an interesting question. I think in my eyes, especially because I I do a lot of teaching of breath work, right? I do a lot of teaching of meditation and and sort of teacher training. So I teach teachers to teach and uh, part of that process i think is discovering where the hindrances are where the blockages are 
are going to reveal to you the pathway to, to be able to follow. And so using those methods, doing it and almost promoting it in a way where enthusiasm and desire for them has to be there. And so I think uh, them understanding why they're doing something, identifying where their own motivation to show up to doing this thing. A strange 5,000-year-old breathing practice that apparently does all these wonderful, amazing physiological and mental psychological things for me, if I can't really experience it or know why I'm doing it initially, no one would ever stick with something that they can't experience firsthand that's beneficial or have no reason behind it to stick with something until it becomes beneficial. So I think in the way that you explain something that gives someone the motivation and the determination to do it themselves, I think is the big key. So, so for me, it's, it's less about trying to get them to do it, but rather identifying why they should do it, really giving it a background, really giving it a basis really giving it a sense of philosophy, not yoga philosophy necessarily, but you developing your own philosophy. Philosophy always defines the goal, right? So philosophy is always going to define where we're headed. You've got a philosophy or a mission statement for your business, you know, it's defining where you're headed with it, that sort of idea or way of thinking about it. That's really what I try and work with. So what I like to do is keep things a little smaller in the groups because you really need to work on an individual level because somebody needs to have a personal relationship with their practice. Whatever you're going to make special, ritualized, sacred, you're going to have to have a very unique and special connection with that thing. So establishing that bond with that thing is, I think, you know, where I step in and, and point. I, all I feel like I do is I'm like a, a bumper bowling. <laughs> I'm not letting you go in the gutter, but you can roll however you want. You can roll however you want. I'll just keep you on track. I don't want to put you on rails though. No one should be on rails. It should be your own path. It's just you get little nudges and supports from all different places. And I think we're all getting them from many different places. Our parents, our children, our friends, whatever they are, whatever disturbances that are there in those relationships as well are, are trying to point something out as well. You know, So that's really where I come from on it, establishing that relationship with the thing that you want to do and uh, making it a very strong bond that you love. And in that way, you'll want to get up and do the practice rather than thinking that the practice is a chore or a dangling carrot out in front of me. My teacher told me that this would eventually lead to me being happy, but it, I don't feel it right now. And I think that's one of the biggest problems with people approaching meditation. It's very, very difficult. If As soon as you set up a negative relationship with a practice or activity, oh, goodness, it's very difficult to keep going with that thing. But if you start with a positive relationship with that activity, of course, you're going to keep on going with it if you enjoy it. So for me, it's fun is a big part of it. And especially in my like yoga classes with movement and stuff, fun and playfulness just have to be a part of it. This was just way too much serious, especially in the, in the yoga world, I think, for a Western audience who, who really just have light intentions in the context of enlightenment being the highest goal of yoga. You know? mm -hmm. yeah. Big goal. It's a big goal <laughs> and it's a small goal, you know. <laughs> I suppose it'd be like, I mean, I don't know what the sporting reference in Australia would be, but it's like if in baseball, all you could do is hit home runs. You know, it's like you're off to bat. Only thing that works is a home run. Yeah. I don't know, footy kicking it through the post. Uh, I think I know more about baseball than AFL. <laughs> <laughs> Today's episode is brought to you by Sense of Self. Sense of Self is a no BS communal wellness space for the modern being. Located on the border of Collingwood and Fitzroy, there is a bathing, steam, sauna, and a cold plunge for those who want to get soaked, massage and spa treatments to give tired bodies some serious love, and plenty of space to take some time out. We invite you to come as you are and take what you need, and firmly believe that idleness is essential to activity. Speaking though, Nikki, of all of these kind of like sacred rituals, and I think that bumper idea is such a cool idea of just like bouncing you through. What are some of those like rituals or practices that you do? And I know that you're always a bit cautious as a teacher to share some of these because you don't want people to think that this is the way, the truth, 
and the light. So as a disclaimer, yeah, what Nikki is about to share is not the way, the truth, and the light for everybody. Yeah, don't, um, don't but, follow me. I'm an idiot. <laughs> no. uh, like, I mean, obviously, you know, you, yoga, breathwork, meditation, or some of those things. But are there other rituals that you have that people might not expect or surprise, or just things that you find that bring you great joy and and peace? Yeah, I mean, you're, you're right. They're really key rituals for me. Uh, breathwork, and do you know what? Meditation's actually taken somewhat of a backseat only because I've established it so strongly. And for me, I'm following a path at the moment of studying Advaita Vedanta, which is a particular type of philosophy in the yoga world. It's quite specific and quite dense. And a part of that is trying to integrate meditation into your daily activities, meaning that you're focused and present and fully attentive to what you're doing. So, I do sit down and meditate still, but it's more like a, a top up or when I need it in a certain way. Like when the mind is a little bit chaotic and things are getting a little too overwhelming, then certainly you need to organize the mind and the mind responds to habituation. And so if it's unhabituated with focusing, you need to sit down again and teach it how to focus again. So yeah, definitely those two rituals are there. The breath work is I mean, I could talk for four days on it, <laughs> on, on breath work. It's something that I believe is just a basic health habit that needs to be there for pretty much everybody. It's just something fundamental, mostly because we almost in a way have forgotten to breathe or just not being taught to breathe properly, efficiently and sufficiently for health. So that's a very important daily thing. And I can go into the particulars of that, obviously, but I'd rather you just come and do a course and we can give it the respect it deserves. So the breath work, I think, is critical to upholding your health so that that creates an internal environment where I can go into the day with a sense of somewhat more level-headed than if I didn't do the breathing practice. The ways in which breath work has helped me in my life there's really nothing it hasn't helped me with. Absolutely everything. I know it sounds kind of ridiculous and just too good to be true, but that's sort of the truth of the matter. So those two practices are quite critical to me. I guess another big ritual sort of for me that is important and sacred and I give my full attention and, and sort of, I don't want to get too fluffy with it, but I give my heart to it in a way, is sort of reading and research on things or deepening my knowledge, my academic knowledge of a subject matter that I'm truly passionate about. And it doesn't matter what it is because it changes all the time. It's more that I'm applying some of my day to investigating and deepening my knowledge of something that I love deeply. And that's giving me a sense of a reason to get up in the morning, a reason to engage in this life. Because I think each of us have been imbued with particular qualities and characteristics. So we have natural tendencies towards things in life. And I have a natural tendency to be quite in-depth in what I study. And so I kind of honor that in a particular way because I feel almost itchy under my skin if I'm not investigating something deeply. But I started to put a little bit more just, I guess, focus. You can be engaged and focused. And the key with presence is to bring both of them into it, focused and engaged. Because you can be engaged in something but not focused on it, you know. And you can be focused on something but not engaged in it. And I think that's where most people are. I'm focused but I'm not engaged. It looks like you've got my attention but inside I'm somewhere else. So this sense of presence, we want to bring both of those things together, my focus and engagement, where I'm really taking this on in a felt way. It's not an intellectual way. I'm experiencing this fully with every dimension of my being. So that kind of presence, it's an overused word, but nonetheless, it does serve well. It's really cool actually to think about that idea of drilling down what's at the heart of the rituals. Cause like you said, I, I'm interested in architecture, mechanics, Vedanta, you name it, but deeply it's about the intellectual pursuit of information or knowledge where it's like sometimes we, we have this laundry list of rituals that we do but if you for a second just kind of go back and say actually what's at the heart of all of these rituals you know it could be the pursuit of 
knowledge or it could be the pursuit of movement or it could be the pursuit of i don't know success but yeah it's it's a cool way to think about it as instead of doing a laundry list like what is at the core of what you love yeah yeah identifying those are super important i think yeah get into the heart of things you know get into the crux it's funny because i think so many times when we talk about presence you're like what is it what is presence it's hard it's you know what uh, awareness but the definition of engaged and focused that really like hit me because i'm like damn sometimes i'm so engaged and never focused and sometimes i'm so focused and not engaged and i thought i maybe i thought i was being present but was i especially at the off like especially in an office environment when we're our phones are going off our slack channel our emails we're in a meeting this kind of bringing together of the head and the heart into each and every activity because sometimes we can just be intellectually based and sometimes we can just be emotionally based let me just say it like that but to bring the two together is the most powerful combination we can have and this is an individual i think to be vulnerable and you know rational or assertive or whatever you want to call it at the same time those two thick qualities together to me that's power to bring head and heart together if you're just head oriented it's not as powerful as the two if you're just heart oriented it's not as powerful as the two together i guess it's always funny because i mean this is gonna be a very like drink related story or metaphor but it's always funny because anytime we do like cocktail sessions i often talk about how important the garnish of the drink is if you go like why is it so important i'm like well because it's the first thing you smell and smell is such an important part of taste but when people think about having a drink or about food it's all about the taste they often don't think about the smell but like the really beautiful products that you taste or you eat or whatever it's it's when smell and taste come together and it's like we are such sensual beings you know where it's like that's the beauty when like you said like head and heart come together or like sound and touch or like it's that combination of senses that have just such an exponential return yeah absolutely yoga is trying to point this out in so many different modes you know like uh to bring together the movement the energy and the mind is the expression of bringing together the head and the heart the actuality of bringing it together in a very practical way these are the things that you do but i think the the relationship here is focus is maybe more mental and engagement is maybe a little bit more heart orientated but i think that's engagement is a nice way to talk about the heart because the heart can be i think a more difficult thing to identify and what that looks like as an expression for a lot of people than it is to talk about the mind everybody knows what it's like to express from the mind intellectually we all do it all day long but things get a little bit more interesting around the heart space and it gets a little bit more abstract i think and that's also what's beautiful about it because it's asking you to bring that individual engagement into it which i think is that's the specialness in any moment i think sometimes i think as well it's people understanding if you look at everything we've covered it's a slowing down because we're so fast and in the slowing down i feel like the practices that we've talked about they teach you to understand the subtleness and obviously there's a lot in the yoga space that talks about the subtle energy or that but i think even in business like that has been really helpful i think for us is just that slowing down yeah absolutely totally agree so sometimes our listeners are you know new to this space what would you say to someone if they'd never considered yoga or breathing or meditation yeah firstly i think there has to be some kind of um interest and desire to want to get into it yeah rather than i mean sure desire for a less stressed out life yeah (laughs) someone just getting into it i think go lightly to begin with don't go to the hardest class yeah go to the advanced meditation first you know i think one of the key things i think is finding a good teacher a good a good facilitator someone who creates a nice environment and it doesn't have to necessarily be good compared to the best it just has to be good for you so someone that you connect with a space in which you can feel like yourself if mm-hmm. you don't feel like you're allowed to be yourself in a space with a teacher maybe try another one at the same time be open to being shown something new you might not be 
that comfortable with, with some of the practices initially because they're very different to what you might have experienced. But to come in with a sense of openness and a curiosity is important. It's very, very important. Otherwise, it's difficult to learn something that you don't know if you're not open to new things, right? Mm-hmm. I like that idea, though, of being ready to like do something interesting and fun because I think, too, like, especially in yoga, you'll definitely sometimes go to a class and you're like, wait, what? <laughs> what am I going to do right now? Hey, I, I still go to classes like that. <laughs> I've seen everything. <laughs> so, for listeners that might not know, so one of the ways that Emma and I have really gotten to know Nikki is that Nikki has been doing breath work for Cappy every Thursday. And on Nikki's move up to the Sunshine Coast, Emma has done a few classes for us. And we did the one where you put, is it your, you put your hands on your shoulders. We, we, you, we just did a bit more of like a intense energizing. I only had three people in that session. So I was like, let's get wild. <laughs> bit of a Kundalini type of uh, vibe. A bit. And I was like, I wonder what everyone's going to think because it's I like a little did it, bit. I did it for that. I did it for shock value. <laughs> <laughs> if that would have been my first breathwork class, I would have been like, yeah, right, lady. I'm not going to breathe heavy out my nose and twist left and right. It was funny. But now I'm like, all right, let's twist. Well, I think that's the thing. Like we've integrated it into into our workplace and we welcome anyone to to join our Zoom any anytime to so reach out. But pure for that reason, for people to explore a curiosity in a safe space, to learn from a great teacher. And, you know, sometimes do I wish they had more motivation and determination? Yeah. But it's nice when you have moments of stress outside of the session and that they reference, oh, I use that breathwork technique. And that's what I often say to the team. It's not about when you're on the mat. We're teaching you things on the mat. We're giving you the space on the mat so that when you're out and about, you'll remember that and your capacity will expand. So it's definitely been a fun journey for us to do that and to work with you, Nikki. So it's been so cool to watch as well, really to see that very basic breathing patterns have an impact through the rest of the day, you know, five to 10 minutes of yeah. of breathing in a particular pattern and the next 12 hours of your day are influenced positively through that. That's, <laughs> I want a little bit of that, you know, that's good stuff. So, yeah, it's been a pleasure to, to watch it in a very practical sense. And that's my biggest joy with the yoga practices is seeing them being utilized in a practical sense, not necessarily in a traditional sense for a modern setting. If you're in a modern setting, let's use them in a modern setting. Mm-hmm. If we're in a traditional setting, then great, let's use it in a traditional setting. But we're not. So, you know, this stuff has to work. So, let's do stuff that works, you know, and uh, make it accessible, make it fun make it uh, enjoyable. It's got to be enjoyable, right? It's been such a beautiful discussion today. And before we do kind of wrap things up, one of the kind of more, not more important, I shouldn't say that all the questions are important, all the chats are important. But one thing that we do like to end with is kind of providing the listeners, you know, maybe a few places to look for inspiration or to find out more information about things that really interest you. So, Including motorbikes or... (laughs) <laughs> including motorbikes, architecture, engineers, famous engineers that you like. Okay. Anyone that you, you know, at the moment are finding to be really inspiring or, you know, someone that, um, whether it's a teacher or An even Instagram just maybe page, a, a Instagram a page, blog, brand, restaurant podcast. that you like, yeah, that you're just really into. Yeah. I mean, straight off the top of my head, Thurman, the podcast that I share with you, it's all about this, this stuff I've been talking about, Advaita Vedanta. And it's by, I, I think, one of the most preeminent teachers right now on Vedanta. He's almost otherworldly. His name's Swami Salva Priyananda, or Swami Priyananda is a, a nice shortened way to put it. Well, I guess we'll put these in some sort of yeah, we'll um, text version. So, yeah, his podcasts, he is just prolific with the amount of work that he puts into it. And also, I don't think there's anyone better describing what Vedanta is all about, this non-dualist Vedic philosophy that it's at the heart of all yoga philosophy. There's no one better right now who's explaining it in such a beautiful way, in such a clear, concise, articulate way of extremely dense subject matter. And i got to say, another little warning here, this philosophy is probably not going to be everyone's cup of tea. It requires a little bit of effort to to get there and then probably some predisposition to be interested in it. So, with that in mind, 
his podcasts and his uh, YouTubes as well, same, same. The subject matters are very practical in the way that he presents them. So I do think if you were going to get into this subject matter, he's really the one to get enthusiastic about, especially if you're um, new to it. So, yes, Swami Sarvapriyananda, Vedanta Society, fantastic, just unbelievable. Aside from, from him, you know what? I am going to go down the motorsport pathway here. I'm going to go down that pathway. Right now in Formula One, there's a, an athlete called Daniel Ricciardo. I'm familiar because I've been watching Drive to Survive. Okay. Massive a- fan. Everyone's like, what? I'm like, yup. <laughs> <laughs> Drive to Survive. I have no idea and I can't believe that Emma has an idea. I know exactly who you're talking about. What, what I like and if not love about him is he is kind of a, a manifestation of all that I'm talking about. So the level of focus and mental strength that it requires to be a Formula One driver, I think is beyond what most people can understand. And even myself doing motor racing, it's such a big jump to that level of professionality with motorsport. It's kind of outrageous, just as any professional athlete at the highest level is they're always a big jump away from what the rest of the world is so to have this balance of this enormous mental strength and the ability to focus if not be meditative for extended periods of time and yet in his characteristics he he has this playful attitude with life where you know this is a place to have fun and to be grateful for what's happening at every single moment of the day with a great deal of respect for what's happening but at the same time not taking it too seriously in a particular way and i think he's just the perfect example of somebody that can be an absolute professional but still be playful totally. and so i'm inspired by him and he's australian and his background italian so you know i relate to him really well <laughs> So, yeah, Daniel Ricciardo, <laughs> I can't believe I, I put him in there, but uh, he is and I've been thinking about him recently, so big ups to him and his marketing department as well because they're yeah. for sure, for sure. And I guess I wanted to point out just one more just on the, the yoga train of, of thought and I was on the fence about it a little bit and this is maybe more for the audience rather than for me and I thought just being a valuable resource. And that's, you've probably seen him on YouTube, but Sadhguru, S-A-D-H, Guru. Just because, again, he's putting topics about yoga into very practical means where we, who might not have very much experience or understanding of the yoga philosophies, he puts it into a way where, especially a Westerner can understand it quite well. And it's quite elegantly put. He's quite articulate as well. So, And he's just a massive resource with so much content and information. So if these are the sorts of things that you want to be getting into, absolutely, Sadhguru is a, a nice resource to go to. In terms of breath work, and that's something that comes up quite often for suggestions from myself, I don't mean to be like arrogant here, but just go to my website and, yeah, and just was, do something I, I, with me. I was me. about to say I that mean, anyway. <laughs> yeah. Just because I've really tried to give it a lot of thought over quite a few years. Pranayama is the way of saying breathwork in the, the yogic world. And, you know, five years ago before breathwork was really on the scene as it is now, I tried so many times to have workshops and trainings around pranayama and it just didn't pop off the way that it should have. And I've tried and really curated the content in a way that's taken quite some time to be put in a practical way and yet still honors the traditions and the spirituality of the practices as well. Or at least you'll have an understanding of that being integrated. If for nothing else, other than the awareness that you are more than just a physical body, your health is much deeper than just your physical form. Your health comes, we know, mental health, energetic health, spiritual health. These are all aspects of our state of well-being, our state of being. So this integration, I really haven't found another course and I've tried to look for it. I wanted to do it myself and so I couldn't find it so I created it. But it's a blend of really in-depth physiology and I've tried to lean on that really hard so that we understand why we're doing things and what impact on the body it's having because it's absolutely remarkable what impact breathwork has on the body and yet at the same time understand what's spiritually and energetically happening as a process in in when we practice these things just because it is happening and bringing awareness to it is only going to make you more powerful with the way that you can control those sort of practices so yeah jump on my website innerorbityoga.com 
Yeah, we've got the online course. We're going to do retreats and trainings and things like that. But yeah, they're my recommendations for today. Get back to me in a month and I'll have different recommendations. <laughs> well, we'll link everything so everyone can find you and explore some more. Was it Daniel Ricardo? Was that? Yeah. I like the idea of this is probably the only list where Daniel Ricardo is going to be sandwiched in between Swami Priyananda <laughs> I'm gonna, and let's, When we want this, let's tag them all. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Maybe he can be like our, you know, we have like a manifestation list of guests. Yeah. That's that's that would be a, a reach, you know. <laughs> be like, and then we I'll could sub Thurman out as the host, and Nikki could come in as me. <laughs> <laughs> I would just be like, oh yeah, how'd you hear about me? Well, my friend and yoga teacher Nikki G told me I had no idea. I had no idea you existed as a person. Uh, uh, it's just funny. Um, it's so funny timing that I was watching that yesterday, and that you brought that up. Well, since we're here in this conversation, I may as well say it just in case this this gets viral. But <laughs> Daniel Ricardo, if you need a meditation breathwork <laughs> teacher slash coach, I am available for you. <laughs> and I can travel the world. <laughs> yeah, uh, more than happy, more than happy to do that. And I do think we could actually increase your performance. Daniel, I've been thinking about your performance and how breathwork can apply. Just saying. Gosh, while we're at that, we should just, who do we put out that we can try to <laughs> manifest in here? I'm like, ding. Yeah, I hope this gets some traction. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I don't know who I want to help with something. That was a good time, even... Emma. I don't know if you've noticed that. Get some traction. That was good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was good. That was good. Well, on that note, I think it's time that we, we call our chat. And on that, I do know that Nikki has said a you know, few suggestions that are probably hard to, to spell into a Google search. So we will definitely link everything. Nikki, thank you so much. My absolute pleasure. And, and thank you. It's, it's so nice to uh, virtually be uh, with you guys right now. Yeah. And thanks for everyone listening to, to me bang on. <laughs> thank you so much for joining us today on The Source. We had such a wonderful conversation with Nikki G. If you did enjoy what you hear, please like, subscribe, give us a comment. And we look forward to you listening in two weeks when we have the incredible Ed Fisher speak to us about the ritual of music to cook to. Until then, Bye. Ciao.